This is SAFM Sport. Okay, so uh, World Athletics came up with uh, some regulations uh, last week uh, for for trans uh, for uh, transgender female athletes, as well as an expansion to their rule of uh, for athletes with DSD, as they call it, uh, differences in sexual development, and to get a better understanding, because there's been missed reaction here. We're joined by sports science t- scientist uh, Ross Tucker, Science of Sport on Twitter. You can follow him there. He joins us on the line. Good evening, Ross. Thanks for taking our call here on SAFM tonight. Yeah, no worries. Uh, thank you for chatting to me. I appreciate it. Thanks. I mentioned that there's been misreaction mis- to the latest regulations, especially the ones regarding transgender female athletes. What was yours when they came out? Uh, I was relieved. I think that they've made the right decision with respect to the trans women. I think it's uh, I think it's necessary to protect the women's sports category, and I think that they've done that. So. They joined swimming. Uh, rugby had done the same thing back in 2020. So I think that's good. I was surprised. I didn't think that they would do it, in part because earlier this year they had announced their preferred option was not to exclude trans women from women's sport, but rather to lower their testosterone. And it appears that what's happened since is that there's been widespread consultation and they've heard the voice of women athletes and coaches in particular, and that. That's how they've arrived at the decision. So overall, I think it's positive. But as you say, I mean, it's a situation all sports are facing and there's no, there is no solution that keeps everybody happy. And so there will always be people who are unhappy with it. I'm one of the people who's quite happy that they've done what they did. Yeah. Yeah. And then is there sci- scientific evidence then that allows them to take this decision now that um, trans athletes or trans women athletes have an unfair advantage? I, th- I think yes. I think the evidence is actually quite strong. Other people would say no, and it depends a little bit, I suppose, on perspective. But I think there are two elements to the evidence. The first one, I would imagine or hope that anyone listening to this would not dispute, and that's that women are different to men. And in terms of sports, the differences between them are so large that we have to have a separate category in sport for women. So we have to have a men's 100-meter champion at the Olympics, Usain Bolt, and a women's 100-meter champion, Chilean Fraser-Price. If we didn't have a category for women, the top 5,000 athletes in the world every year would be males. That's, that's how big the difference is between men and women. There are five to 10,000 boys and men who are faster every year than the best female athletes on the planet. And so we have this category for women. Now, that's indisputably true. So the only question then, I think, is... Is someone who's biologically male and who identifies as a female, a woman, so this is a trans woman, is that athlete entitled to compete in the category that actually exists to keep them out of it? And the only way you can do that is if you are 100% sure that you can take away all that male advantage. And there are now 17 studies on trans women that show that when you lower their testosterone levels into the level of females, the advantage persists. And so the answer is, there's lots of evidence that males are different from females, and there's also lots of evidence that you can't make them the same. And so therefore, they have a lot of evidence to support the decision they made. And, and does the evidence just come, is it based solely on testosterone? So far it has been, you know, and that's a historical artifact i think 20 years ago when sport realized that they would have this dilemma they said right 
we don't want to exclude people from the category, which you can debate. I mean, if you think, think about it, categories only work when they exclude people. Imagine what a lightweight boxing category looks like if it doesn't exclude a heavyweight. It doesn't work. It's, <laughs> it's no longer serves its purpose. But I think sports wanted to be as inclusive as possible. And they said, well, maybe we can have both. Maybe we can have inclusion of trans women and fairness if we simply take away the source of the problem. And they, they looked at testosterone as being the source of the problem. And that's how 20 years ago it was decided that testosterone was going to be the solution to the problem as well. Now, what we've subsequently recognized is that you can take the testosterone away from a male, but you don't create a female. <laughs> you, you still have advantages that testosterone creates. And so you can understand why they'd started off in that direction, but it just doesn't work. And so the reality is sports have to choose. You can, you can either have fairness or you can have trans women in women's sport, but you cannot have both. And I also saw, um, Ross, that the regulations affect those who have transitioned from male to female that have gone through male puberty, but those who transitioned before puberty are not af- af- affected. Can you just explain this for us, or does it go back to testosterone? It still goes back to testosterone, and the, and the difference is puberty. So anyone listening to this who's got teenage kids, especially boys, will understand that when children go through puberty, the hormone level, particularly testosterone, spikes at around 11, 12, 13. And it changes those people beyond recognition. You know, like you think about what happens to boys as they get older, their voice deepens, hair growth, etc. No, okay, none of that is relevant to sport. But stronger muscles, larger muscles, longer bones, bigger hearts, bigger lungs. So all the differences I spoke of earlier between males and females, well, let's say not all of them, but most of them are the result of what testosterone does at puberty. So the the rationale that the sports are using is saying that if someone stops that process from happening, in other words, they never go through male development, then they no longer have that advantage. So we're not we don't have any reason to exclude them from women's sports. But if they've gone through that male advantage, the, the male development that creates these advantages, then we can't allow them into women's sports. You, you mentioned other federations like Swimming Rugby League. They've also basically banned transgender women athletes from competing in female um, events. But they have yeah. open c- categories now. Is, is this the way to go then? I, th- I think so. I think what you'll end up with then is a protected category which is then meant to exclude anyone who is not female. And then people can debate what that means, what's not female. But to me, I think it's quite clear. And then everything else is open. And I think in reality, that's actually how sport works. I mean, there's, there's nothing that would stop someone from entering the NBA and playing basketball against the men if they were female. The reality, of course, biologically, is that no one has ever been able to do that because of these male-female differences. But I can foresee that eventually we'll start calling it open, which is everyone's allowed, and then female, which is only certain people are allowed. Now, I was involved in the world rugby discussions back in 2020 and the development of that policy. We considered calling it open and female, but we didn't make that step then. Perhaps within the next year we will. We have to we have to revise it ourselves. But I, I think that is the best solution in terms of making clear to the world exactly how sport needs to work. But then are we not discriminating against those who identify themselves as females, those who've transitioned but still identify themselves as female? 
We are, yeah, but it's a necessary discrimination. Um, you know, that's the, that's the point of sports categories is is that they only work, as we were saying, if they exclude certain people. Now, you could say that that exclusion is discriminatory, but I would counter that by saying, what? how much does identity matter in sport? I mean, whether you consider yourself to be a man or a woman is not really relevant to your performance capabilities. The thing that's relevant is biology. And if, if a sporting category can't, quote unquote, discriminate on the basis of biology, then it stops actually working. It's, it's the same as saying that is it discrimination to tell a heavyweight boxer that he can't fight lightweight boxers? Well, no, it's not. I mean, you could argue it's discrimination, but it has to be there because otherwise boxing categories no longer work. So that's why it's unsolvable in a way. And that's why people get unhappy. But if you if you can't have this kind of discrimination, then it's discrimination in the other direction. Remember that if world athletics, rugby, swimming, if they allowed trans women into women's sports, it would be discriminatory towards females because they're being forced to compete against someone who has this unfair advantage. So, yes, it's discrimination, but it, it has to be there. Okay, and then just as we wrap up, World Athletics said they will set up a working group over the next year. Is, is that not an indication that they've not done enough research or are they leaving themselves open maybe to other evidence that could change their decision? I think it's a reflection of recognition that the, that the thing is never closed. And that's reality. So we can sit here in, in March 2023 and say 17 studies show this. Males have physiological advantages compared to females. But who knows, maybe by 2026... New studies emerge that create a different picture and we recognize that we can have fairness with trans women inclusion. So I think setting up a trans working group is a necessary step to make clear that you're still open towards future possibilities and prospects. World Rugby incidentally did the same thing. We have a working group which is now committed to meet every three years and that's what I alluded to earlier. We'll meet later on this year. It would take in my opinion, quite remarkable evidence to change the picture that we know exists now. Um, but I think it's necessary. And the other thing, remember, it's not just about the evidence. It's just about the legal environment and the context. So if society decided that it was illegal to discriminate on the basis of identity, for instance, it's in the constitution of countries, then the policy becomes incompatible with the legal background. And then maybe you need a working group that considers those elements of it as well. So that that working group has to keep their eye on a few different balls. Science is one of them. Okay, and I know the focus has been on the regulations with uh, a trans woman or trans female athletes, but there's also an expansion now to the regulations for athletes with DSD, differences in sexual uh, developments, and they must also reduce their levels now to take part in other events. Mm. Before, it was restricted. It was 400 to the 1,500 meters. So is this based on maybe the same evidence? What's your take on this one? Yeah, this is a more complex area because biologically, everything I spoke of before about testosterone, male development, that's still true for these athletes with these differences of sex development. So they they have male chromosome, male testosterone, and they can use that testosterone. So when they go through puberty, these athletes also go through male development. And that's why there's a performance advantage. So in that respect, they're actually very similar to the trans woman issue. Where, where they are different 
is legally and also from a rights human rights perspective because and we know this in South Africa all too well mm. these athletes are only identified as male because of sports so in other words with with a trans woman it's someone who everyone recognized was male at birth grows up male male development male puberty and then that person themselves declares that they identify as woman in this instance you've got an athlete like Casta Semenya who everyone identifies or thinks at birth is female and she grows up as a girl lives as a female and then it's only sport that says actually you know what there's actually an issue here your sex and your gender are not matched and so i think what sport's trying to do here is instead of excluding them from competition entirely they're still trying to treat them by allowing testosterone which allows them to compete so that's why the dsd regulation is different from the trans regulation now as far as expanding that range guys that was absolutely necessary it was it was absurd actually it was a crazy weird situation that only some events were covered before and so in a sense the policy now is better than the one before it because it covers all the events and i think that's right but again this this one is if the trans issue was complicated this is absolutely unsolvable so before they had to reduce i think to five nanomoles now it's 2.5 was the evidence that the five was still not enough it was still giving an unfair advantage yeah, there, n- no direct evidence on that. What they've done there is they've said, right, if we look at 3,000 males, what we'll find is that the lowest male in that whole group has still got a testosterone level of about 5, 6, up to 10. If we looked at 3,000 females, the high- highest person in that group would be 3. And so what they've said is that if we allowed these athletes, these DSD athletes, to have a level of 5, we're basically still allowing them to get their testosterone level into the male range. So we have to make it even lower. And if we make it 2.5, then it will be lower than the highest female. So they've, they've, they've done that on the basis of what's typical in women, females, and what's typical in males. And they're, they're trying to make them look as different as possible, if that makes sense. Because before at five, those DSD athletes were still in the same level as the males. Mm. Okay. Okay, Gross, we've just got a couple of voice notes before we wrap up our conversation. Tabizo, I think this was a good decision to ban people who have an advantage more than others because you can't Tabizo have girls competing against girls who say or who, are, who have men hormones. So I think the decision by the International Athletics Federation was a good one, and I think in South Africa we need to understand that these are rules. And then, if you want to be part of the global sport world, and then you need to abide by the regulations. I remember Scasta uh, was given opportunity to lower the level of heterons, but she refused. So I think we don't have to complain. I think the guy explaining because you can have people who have more. Are funny than others. I think you. This is teaching. 
Hi, this is Mike from Napier. I just want to comment on Professor Ross Tucker's um, discussion around transgender athletes. And I find it outrageous that he can follow this line of thought. There is no clear evidence. In fact, there's lots of evidence that once testosterone is loaded on a lot of athletes, they're more than capable of competing as transgender athletes in women's categories. So I'd like to see some of the research that he's now claiming is something um, in that space. It's really unfair and totally unjust in this modern world that we are literally getting rid of athletes who are more than have the right to compete in the women's category. Um, this is Mike from Napier. Okay, thanks for that, Mike. Do you want to respond to that, Prof? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would gladly show Mike the evidence. There, there, are, there are now, you know, in the last four or five years, there's been a handful of athletes who've, who've disproven what he said there. As I alluded to, there are 17 studies that have looked at transgender women. Admittedly, we must be clear about this, not athletes. But we've seen in the U.S. in swimming and in track and field, we've seen it in cycling out of England, we've seen cases where athletes make the transition, they lower their testosterone level, and yes, it's true, I mean, they, they do lose. So, for instance, the evidence shows that they lose, say, 5 to 10% of their strength, but the initial difference between males and females is 30%. They lose about 5% in terms of endurance. The initial difference is 12 to 15%. So, the point is that when you take the testosterone down, you only remove a part of male advantage, which means that a large part still persists. And then you'd make this prediction. You'd say, well, if that person makes the switch and they used to be, say, the 150th best athlete, they're now going to carry an advantage across and they're going to be the best athlete. And that's exactly what's happened. Leah Thomas in the U.S. with swimming, Emily Bridges in cycling. We've seen champions winning in sports range from skateboarding to basketball, they've been cricket players. And so I, th I think it's becoming more and more clear that that advantage is retained. And whilst I appreciate the sentiment that, you know, we're living in this modern world, the modern world also needs to respect that women have a right to fair and safe sports competition. And until someone can provide the opposite evidence case, which is that the, evidence, the, the advantage is fully removed. It's only right to respect that women also deserve a say in this, and it's their say that gives them a, a, a safe and fair sporting space. Mm. But in the same breath, Laurel Hubert struggled at, at the Tokyo Olympics. Well, yeah, she didn't. She didn't, right? Because remember, Laurel Hubert was 43 years old when she went to the Olympic Games. The average age of an Olympic weightlifter is in their mid to early 20s because we know that's when peak strength emerges. And so the mere fact that Hubbard qualified for the Olympics is actually an indication of advantage because prior to transitioning, Laurel Hubbard was not an Olympic level lifter. So she made the Olympics. Hubbard made the Olympics because of an advantage. But you must remember that you can give someone an advantage, but if they don't start from a high enough base, they're not going to win. I mean, you could put... You could put, for instance, I don't know if Mike cycles, but if you put an engine on Mike's bicycle, he's not going to win the Tour de France because maybe Mike isn't good enough to begin with to win the Tour de France. So, so therefore, advantage is not seen by the final result. It's seen by whether that person gets relatively better within their category, and that definitely happened for Laurel Hubbard. Okay, let's just take one more, uh, Ross, before we let you go. Now, there's one thing I would like to um, just mention on your speak at the moment about transgender and, and hormone levels and such. I'm not transgender whatsoever. Um, however, my count falls between five and seven. So now if I wanted to compete, 
you know, swimming or shot put, discus, running, whichever game it might be or event it may be, how do I fall into that class? Because now I'm not using any supplements whatsoever. I just naturally have a very high testosterone level. And that is where my problem comes in when it comes to Olympics especially. Okay, Prof, does it go back then to why we have categories? Because the, the, the caller is saying that they're not transgender, but the testosterone levels are high. They fall between five and seven. Yeah, so in that particular instance, that, that athlete, if that caller wanted to compete in women's sport, there would be no issue at all with that because they're not male. They're, they're female with high testosterone levels. And the, the, the DSD policy is very, very clear that it only applies to individuals who are XY chromosome with male internal testes and with high levels of testosterone. So from what was said on that call, that particular caller would have no issue. They, they, don't, they don't exclude on the basis of testosterone level. They exclude on the basis of being male and going through male puberty and development. So there actually isn't a conflict in that particular instance. And yes, it does come back to the category. The, the category for women's female and in order to fulfill its purpose it has to exclude people who are biologically male it would not exclude that previous caller no matter what their testosterone level is so just to be clear with an athlete like Casta, then she would you she has male chromosomes yes yeah that was revealed in the course of the court of arbitration hearing and the decision made it quite clear because they had to they had to modify their rules at the time because before that, the, the, the policy that World Athletics used was called the hyperandrogenism policy, which means high testosterone. Once that Semenya case was resolved, that policy was very clear that it only applied to athletes who had male chromosome, male gonads, which is testes, and male levels of testosterone. So it would not apply to anyone other than that specific definition. Okay, Prof, thanks for engaging us. Thanks for the insight. Do you have a podcast up today where you explain this in more details? A little bit. We, we, we discussed the World Athletics Transgender Guidelines. We, we previously, if you go back a few months and into last year, we did a much longer discussion where we've answered many of the questions you've answered plus some more. Today's one was really just a brief uh, assessment of World Athletics' position. Okay, great. Follow him on Science of Sport. Thanks for taking our call on SAFM tonight from overseas. It's a pleasure. No worries. Thanks. Thank you. Science of Sport there. This Dr. Professor Rob Gross-Tucker. When you have a PhD, what, do you, what are you, a professor or a doctor? Probably both, eh?